Hello, hello, and welcome to Review 2. This week we review 2-ing Passengers, Original Soundtracks 1. It doesn't sound like you too. Is it a richer experience? Maybe. This is like where we're the most opposed. Not writing songs, but creating moods. It is what it is. But is it what it seems? (laughs) Hello and welcome to Review 2. Today we will finally be discussing Passengers Original Soundtracks Volume 1. I'm Tyler. Here with me as usual is Johnny. Say hello, Johnny. Hello. So... Passengers that we've we've been promising this episode longer than any other. Uh, you've really wanted to push for this all the way through. Yep. Uh, I haven't been that bothered having not listened to this album in about fifteen years. So it's basically over to you today. This is this is your episode. Um, mm. Does this mean you owe me one? Possibly. Why? What do you want to do? I don't know yet. Captive. <laughs> no. Um, That's another one. I've never even listened to Captive. Brilliant, it's really good. So, if you want to get work done, put on captive. Should we go straight into passages, or should we cover the news? Uh, what news? Exactly. <laughs> there's been there's there was a new album out in December, which is when we were last with you, and since then, nothing. It's been bits and bobs of releases. I mean, one thing that was released a couple of days ago, as we're recording, um, on the eighth of April, is the acoustic version of "Get Out of Your Own Way," and. That, to me, sort of frames this in an interesting way because that song, to me, I wasn't massively plussed with it then. And then hearing this acoustic version, quite a drab, uninspiring version, would would you agree? Yeah, I, I, um, it sounds like two people at a party who didn't expect to see each other. Mm. And it's like, oh, wait, you play guitar, don't you? I, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm a singer. Let's, let's... It's basically us at a party <laughs> deciding to play a song badly yeah it, it sounds it, that can't be it's a live recording right it sounds like an impromptu live recording somewhere yeah rather than something that's been set up with a huge stadium crowd if we did some research we could probably find out where it was but the thing is it it's not very inspiring and it also reminds us of the fact that this is a it seems like you two trying to write something according to a youtube template you know we got to have the single so what worked before Beautiful Day? What worked before City of Blinding Lights? Let's put those together a bit, make something with a political contemporary flavour, stick it out, get out of your own way as a result. And that, to me, is almost the polar opposite of what was going on with Passengers, i.e. giving themselves a huge amount of freedom to not be U2, to not have to write to a template. I mean, specifically, not being U2. This is where the whole conceit of the album comes from. They are Passengers. It's not part of the mainstay. Technically, this isn't a Review 2 episode, is it? It's Review Passengers. Mm. A one-off series with one episode, and that's it. Well, maybe not. It is Original Soundtracks 1. Volume 1, yeah. I would love there to be a 2. The There was plans uh, for it to continue. Mm. Um, with, Brian Eno said with either um, one or all of them. Uh, and then he said, "Hopefully, all of us, you know, with different." I imagine Larry's not going to be on board with different people, you know, coming in and out, and you know, just doing what they want to do. Mm. There were original ideas for a second album, but they couldn't agree on a direction for the second album, so decided to shelve a lot of those materials. That that implies well, that, that material. Sorry, that implies there was a 
solid direction for this album, which there definitely isn't. I mean, <laughs> there are themes, there are ideas, but it's all over the place in a good way, I would say. It, it is all over the place. Um, but there apparently some songs have, uh, f- that didn't get used on original soundtracks one mm. did eventually turn into U2 songs with Brian Eno as the producer. Yeah. So I, I don't really know which songs. Well, I imagine because they're always evolving and taking bits from you know this, that, and the other, you can see how lots and lots of songs just keep growing and growing. I mean, something like like uh, Crystal Ballroom or Return of the Stingray Guitar, that kind of thing. Um, Devil's Hands, Lucifer's Hands. God, it's been ages since I've thought about songs, songs of innocence. You can see how that is something that's obviously evolved from a long, long line of different songs. So they always tend to do that anyway, really. And I think when we're going through the album, we'll there's a couple surprising ones um i think most people will be surprised to think that this song might have you know uh, originated in passengers yeah. but what you've cunningly done is skip the 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 lack of news and gone straight into passengers but there is actually some very big news which is kind of relevant to this time period as well yeah go on. finally the re-release of pop okay go on have you have your moment about pop in a very Oh, maybe I've built this up too much because I've been waiting for this for a long time and I was expecting an Actung Baby style Uber deluxe box set for pop. Yeah, with a couple of lemons included. In you the, know, uh, with taste. a band member inside, something like that. Just something stupid and outrageous and a disco ball, uh, whatever. Yeah, one miniature disco ball added to the box set. £500, please. <laughs> Basically, what we've got is a very quiet release of Wide Awake in America... Uh, All You Can't Leave Behind and Pop, which are supposedly remastered. Mm. But this is my issue. When you two remaster albums, it's normally a big deal. There's normally a big push. It's like, oh yeah, we've gone back to the studio and we've tried to figure out what what this album was really about and make sure it sounds like that and make sure it's the best presentation. There's been nothing. Yeah. Are there any new even... You know, no B-sides. It is, it is the album oh. as was released. It's a reissue. And I've read that it is a remaster, but I've not seen any evidence of it actually being a remaster. See, I'd be interested if they've if they've remastered it, but then they've not even had a little blurb attached with Ed saying, "Yeah, this is what we wanted to do with Discotech. It sounds crisper now, or you know, what something like that." If it is literally just they've, I mean, what have they done? We'd have to listen to them side by side, but so obviously, yeah. you know, because I, I do like um, I do like getting all the records, all the albums on on record. I um I've ordered pop. I've got an original pop, so I will be able to compare and contrast mm. both. And I hope it's been remastered. I hope they've done something. I hope there's something new and a, a reason to invest in that other than oh let's get this album on vinyl because I've not been able to do it because yeah. I was buying CDs in 1997. So I hope I hope there's a reason to do that. Well, maybe you can give us an update when it when it comes out. I mean, or you could even do like a playing side by side kind of thing. But maybe that's what I'll do. Maybe I'll take us back to pop again. And... Well, I'm not getting involved in this. It sounds dull as dishwater. <laughs> uh, maybe I'll take us back to pop. That's that can be the episode you owe me. Um, right, yeah, but again, right. something new. Um, not new, but something newsworthy in in you two. And they're not all over the place. They've been so quiet since Songs of Experience came out. Why? There's been bits and bobs and sort of performances, like the performance on the Hudson, that kind of thing. I don't know. For, for me, it's been a bit quiet because I've just not been getting that excited about 
them playing things like American Soul and Get Out of Your Own Way Live. Like, it's not that interesting to me. What I'm interested in is the new tour. Although, paradoxically, I don't really want spoilers about that. Do, so, you, uh, do Have you heard the spoiler that, that came out either last week or There will two be weeks ago? augmented reality. If you have another one, then do not tell me because I don't want to know anything about the tour until I see it. Okay, without giving anything away, it's about a song that they've been rehearsing. Oh, I know Wild Horses. Yeah. Yeah, the, okay. yeah. Excited about that? Uh, based on based on the song, yes. Based on the version that I heard them re- See, rehearsing. I didn't look at the version. It was just, it, to be fair to them, it was them just rehearsing, you know, so obviously it's not got a lot of polish on it. So hopefully it'll have matured a little bit, but I'd love to see that song live. I've not seen it live. It would be great to, to actually be there. Um, apart from that, I'm interested to know what this whole augmented reality thing will be. Hopefully it's not a gimmick. Hopefully it won't require the audience to wear like. I can't see how I, I can't some. see how they're going to do it without three D glasses. Great, so I'll be watching you two wearing two pairs of glasses like an idiot. Yeah. Oh well, well fair enough. Um, um, but the tour, I don't know if we mentioned. I don't know if we had tickets last time. We did an episode. Yeah, not last time. I don't think. But um, we so, can confirm we're going to be there. Yeah, we'll be there on Friday the nineteenth of October, uh, in Manchester. We're also going to try and do a little something the next day, mm. um, reviewing that show. Yeah, details to follow. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on that, so just bear with me, and you guys will be the first to know once something is sorted. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I think, regardless of whether I get to sort something out or not, we there should definitely be a U2 meet-up, uh, and this is something that should happen in every city. You know, like so. So I'm not arranging this, but someone get someone can arrange this. It, you know, it's a Facebook group, basically. Can I just check? You've been a U two meetup, not a review two meetup, because I'm. Not oh, did I say to... a review two meetup? No, right, no, no sorry. I'm just, I'm just checking. You're not planning us to do a world tour. a world tour because <laughs> I don't have the funds. Uh, I, I, I'm free. I'm available. Um, but no, I think yeah, a U two uh, fan meetup, especially on those on those days where they're playing cities on the weekend. I think that would be a really, you know, fun thing to do because uh, the the YouTube community, a lot of you already know because you're a part of it uh, on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Instagram. It's just, it, it's a great, it's a great community, and it would be a great experience to, you know, go and meet other fans. Yeah. Um, is there anything else we need to discuss about that? Not really. I think people are probably champing at the bit, ready for a bit of passengers. Right. Okay. Um, track by track. We will go track by track, but just to hear from you guys, we asked on Twitter, can you sum up passengers in three words? So uh, we got quite a few responses from this. Uh, so Mark Charlesworth, he says, not for me. That's his, obviously the three words. Thank God they didn't put uh, the YouTube name to this album. Uh, to which I replied, interesting point. They gained freedom from certain restrictions and responsibilities by doing so. Good for those who like it and good for those who loathe it. So... The point I was trying to make there in the Twittery kind of way is this album gave you to a huge amount of freedom. They're not playing to that template. They're not having to to release something that's really, really single worthy. And it means that they get rid of all that responsibility to being a, you know, a hit making outfit. And it means that they can then get away from all the restrictions that are put on them as that, that kind of outfit that are meant to produce pop records. And that to me is again, a good contrast with, I don't want to just keep going on about how much I don't like Get Out of Your Own Way, but it's really just not sticking with me, that song at all. It's not It's not what I want from you two. I want more Bono experimentation. Bono sounds bored with the song, so how how 
how can we exactly yeah you know have any you know grand feelings about the about the song really well um mark replied to that i totally get your point and a lot of people might like the project but we'll have but he would have loved to see the sessions in the studio and seeing larry and adam's face and that's another thing this does feel like a project driven by certain members of you two with other ones on board for the ride but not necessarily happily not necessarily happy about you know the the direction that they were going in so larry famously and we'll get onto this later didn't really like passengers um tbw bex says very interesting experiment so um again i think that's a, that's a really nice response because it kind of captures the fact that something that's interesting can be interesting for a lot of different reasons you know maybe wow that's that's interesting oh, that's interesting you know there's a lot of different ways that you can read passengers and i think there are real high points and real I was going to say low, but just weird points in this well, album. Just coming off that, actually, um, when I was going through the little bit of research I did for this, because you, you're basically teaching me today. Just putting a lot of stress on me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right. So um, I basically came across uh, an ex- an explanation. I don't know if Passengers needs an explanation, but that this, in effect, could be seen as the sequel to Brian Eno's album Music for Film. Mm-hmm. Uh, very similar way in which it was set up. Yeah. Um, y- using his his what are they called the strategy cards? Oblique strategy cards. Yeah. yeah. So I haven't listened to that that album. Um, me and Brian Eno famously don't get along very well on this podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, I don't feel that's for me. But have you listened to that? Is there any connection to, or, or got, is it just the film connection? I've got a real. Person, I've got a real connection to Brian Eno personally. Okay, I've listened to lots and lots of Brian Eno. I saw him in a kebab shop once. Was too afraid to go over. And anyway, I can't believe that. <laughs> well, I, it's a thing of you don't want to meet your heroes and just come off as a jerk. He's, he's trying to tuck into a, a shish kebab. I don't want to get in the way of that. I so, met Anthony Hopkins in Harrods. He's very small, smaller than me. So wow, yeah. Which is, but you still see Hannibal Lecter, no matter how tall he is. <laughs> um. All right. Well, um, but there you go. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> I I really like Brian Eno, and the I think one of the things that I like about him is that he took a very a sideways view on music compared to a lot of other people. So, he was writing songs, not even songs actually, creating ambient spaces. That's that whole song idea of there being a verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge kind of structure doesn't really apply to him in his own work. Obviously, the stuff with Roxy music is different. But what he would do is create spaces and ambient textures. Why are you, you smirking? Because I just realised you look like somebody who would see Brian Eno in a kebab shop. What does that even mean on it? Like, you, you, well, I, I am. So if you had have said, if you had have said hello to Brian Eno, yeah, it, I, I imagine people that well, look like gone, the oh, people God, that look like you. Yeah, people that look like you are the only people that say hello to Brian Eno because they're the only people that know who he is. <laughs> and can recognise him by sight. Yeah. I'll, I'll take that, fine. <laughs> um, so the Oblique Strategy cards are ways of freshening up musical approaches. So he famously used them with Bowie um, and lots of other people that he worked with to make sure that people weren't just repeating the same ideas or falling into a creative rut where you're just doing the same thing um, in a very typical way. So he would have something like, he'd bring out a card and it would say, you know, inject a sense of fun into it or mystery into it. You can buy these, by the way, online. So I'm sorry for misquoting some of them. Or do everything at double time. 
or sometimes it'd be more cryptic things like repetition is a form of change and they were meant to just jog your mind out of any kind of boring or cliched oh god we're playing the song kind of thing and i think i mean they're they've been used by people when they're doing creative writing when they've been doing visual art as well as music so brian eno is a great influence on you two on this album because they've they've given the freedom to experiment a lot and the kind of things that wound you up for example about brian eno's influence on the unforgettable fire where you get things like fourth of july which is very very free form is useful here i'd set your point but um that's different in terms of they were 20 somethings Mm. young you know in the in their early 20s when they first met up with brian eno yeah the the relationship and the dynamic is obviously different 10 years later so the more i think the more mature equal partners in the production of this um along with howie b i think you know bono edge eno and howie b very much trying to do something new together as a collaborative project and that's why again this is not a u2 album it's passengers and i mean it says those main people but then there's also other contributors a few extra passengers as it says on the album i'll just look at it officially what it says so uh yeah a few extra passengers uh luciano pavarotti howie b and holly um along with you know brian eno and the band but if you actually look through the the notes to the people that collaborated and added things on this it's it's a huge huge hodgepodge of, of lots and lots of different artists which is no bad thing no not at all i think it it just makes this very interesting in, in terms of its tech in terms of its texture do you want to just finish off our twitter correspondence about the the summing up of passengers in three words okay so carly mccarlface that's an unfortunate name uh said it's music for dreaming it's a wonderful album to fall asleep to and i mean that in a good way yeah fair enough Okay, and then we've got, I think it's Stuck or Stu C. Probably Stu C looking at that. I imagine so. Yeah. Um, he says, descends into madness, ellipsis, or uh, two halved album, in brackets, tracks one to seven are good and interesting, but after that it's madness, mm-hmm. ellipsis. Uh, or, he didn't close brackets either, so I'll be marking him down for spelling. Uh, or off after seven in brackets track seven he closed the brackets this time um <laughs> thanks to you and, yeah. and carly actually i apologize for tyler's rudeness there no no i'm not i'm not, I'm not being rude but you know um there you go B-minus, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh and then we had you two know and then long time listener i think they're all long time listeners let's not put this bit in <laughs> Oh God, keep going. Uh, um, so you two now and then, you two now and then, great background music. I think all of those, uh, there's a lot to agree with, to be honest. I've definitely fallen asleep to Passengers, although I will say there's certain parts of the album that are really dreamy and you could listen to, you know, could it be on a on a mixtape of relaxing songs or, you know, massage songs, that kind of thing, like chill out songs. But there's other ones that would wake you up straight away or you, I mean... If you were listening to Elvis at America in, in the middle of the night, I suggest that something has gone wrong in your life. That's that is a descent into madness, but that's too much for a preview of, uh, of the rest of the album. Um, so I guess we should talk. We we kind of talked about about this um, about this album and where it comes from. But to anyone who is somewhat um, unaware of Passengers, and 
it's very easy to be unaware of it. it. It can completely pass you by as a U2 fan. And if you're aware of it, you may wish that you were unaware of it. <laughs> yeah, that it that it had passed you by. Mm. So um, to very briefly sum it all up, so it's I'm looking at the Wikipedia entry here. So it's a studio album album recorded by rock band U2. So we know who are involved in. Wait that. a minute, who are they? Well, we're not doing <laughs> not doing uh, that because people get angry at us for copying. Um, okay, so. Yes, no, it is a side project. It was released on the sixth of November, nineteen ninety-five, and the whole. We've not even talked about this. Is that the price? No, although I wouldn't have been surprised in Andy's records. Um, <laughs> it's a reference to people who've been listening to the podcast for a while. Um, the mainstay. So um, we've not really talked about this. The main conceit of this album is that these are songs that exist for imaginary films. So the whole point was to take. Again, for inspiration led by Brian Eno, take visual art, or even the idea of visual art, and Brian would get a lot of people to come into the studio. He commissioned people to do um, films, uh, universities, art students to do films. They would have lots of Japanese um, anime on TVs and things like that, and they would have them on with all the sound down, and they would try to make music that they thought would suit those particular environments. So it's a really interesting concept, you know, coming up, take, getting the visual to inspire the audio, essentially, and to think of not writing songs, but creating moods, because most film soundtracks, although there might be a hit song attached, most OSTs are, are really just to create a mood for that particular area, rather than to say, this is a complete statement as a song. Um, yeah, so... so Mostly imaginary films. The only ones that are actually real are Ghost in the Shell, fantastic film, definitely recommend that. Uh, Miss Sarajevo, which we've talked about, it's a documentary. We talked about you know uh, all the the crisis in Bosnia and Sarajevo and all that other kind of thing. We've done that before, um, so it'll be interesting to see what we have left to talk about when we get to it. And uh, the film Beyond the Clouds, uh, which is an Italian film. So um, we've got lots of people. We've got lots of people with different ideas. I mean, Pavarotti is someone from a completely different sphere of music um, involved in this. So you two are being pulled in lots of different ways. Eno is trying to drive them to create something that's more experimental and artistic. And I think that's basically where we begin with Passengers. We're going to start this odd journey into who knows where. So from ambience to experiments... Let's go native as we review two Passengers Original Soundtracks, Volume 1. Track 1, United Colours, from the film United Colours of Plutonium, brackets Japan. So this is one of the imaginary films, United Colours of Plutonium. Um, The first thing I noticed about this song is it's... Well, it's odd as an as an opening track, even by U2 standards. Um, there is a autobanny, craftworky feel to it. You begin with this kind of like very rhythmical, metronomic kind of sound, and then you have these growing, whizzing by kind of like mm, kind of textures, but they are more. I bet that sounded great on mic. Um, but they're less cars on. The autobahn, the more like trains or bullet trains, and so this song apparently 
is meant to capture that idea of of a of a bullet train. Um, again, it's more of a feeling or a texture than 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 a song. Um, and I think overall, it is going to be very difficult for us to judge these tracks because we're used to talking about the way songs work rather than soundtracks work. We're also used to talking about the way you two act, behave, and write and perform as a band. Mm. And this isn't you two, although all four members of you two are you know present and part of the writing for for these songs. It really couldn't be less you two in in most parts. Mm. It's it, it's very different. It's meant to sound different. So if uh, if like us, you've bought this album because you're a U two fan. If you like it, that's a bonus. It's um, it, it, there's no guarantee that you're gonna you know you're gonna like this this track because it's probably very different from anything that you actually like about U two. I remember when I originally bought this album, putting this on and knowing that it was a different animal. I mean, I had that U two poster that was knocking about in the mid-2000s before they released uh, How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, and it had all of the albums on it. Passengers, noticeably, was absent. So I'd gone through all the other albums. I think Passenger was probably the last thing that I bought. And putting it on, and even knowing that it wasn't an official part of the canon, thinking, this is weird, um, and not in a good way at that particular time. It's really, really grown on me, Passengers, as a whole overall album. And I think this is probably, and I think it's similar for you, this is probably the first time I've listened to this album with attention all the way through in about 10 years. Oh, that's yeah. a, that's so, overdue, certainly. really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I agree. Um, I described the uh, the sound at the beginning as a ticking sound. And in, in my head, I um, threw out this because uh, you told me that the four imaginary films, mm. I started to try and imagine... What scene? What am I seeing? What does this track make me see? Which is kind of the opposite of what they were doing. They were they were looking at a scene and writing music for it. I was listening to music and imagining what the scene was. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, I'm an artist in my own right. Um, well, so- shall we then? If you want to give you your impression of it, and then I can talk about the liner notes because, um, as a sort of weird joke, Eno and Bono wrote the descriptions to the films, the imaginary films, and descriptions of the real ones as well, in the liner notes to the album. Something that I was not aware of for a very long time because I just didn't explore Passengers as, as a product. I mean, it's signed off here as Ben O'Ryan and C.S.J. Uh, Bofop, which are made-up names, which are amalgamations of, I assume, Eno and Bono's name or something like that, or maybe just Eno's name. Um, so... Do you want to tell us what you saw in United Colors of Plutonium? Okay, so just starting... It is called United Color, right? So, this is where it gets a bit complicated. On the record, you have given the names of the song... And the and the film. And the names of the film. So, the song is United Colors. Right. This film, which doesn't exist... <laughs> <laughs> Who said you two were but let's be, But let's be specific about this. Yeah, the film, which does not exist is United Colours of Plutonium. Right, okay. I thought United Colour was actually because, you know, the fast-moving things and how things blur into, mm-hmm. into you know, various browns <laughs> when yeah. when moving fast. Because yeah. the world is brown when, it's when, when, you know, if you go in faster than two miles an hour. Famously. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah when you, people, you've seen it. When people describe the life flashing before their eyes, they say it's just a sea of brown. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Go on anyway. Um, but so the ticking uh, noise at the start did very is very reminiscent of of craft work, and it made me feel uh, think of zooming into a clock in almost a very uh, David Lynch Twin Peaks and you know really focusing on the the ticking of the clock mm. for an indecent amount of time. Yeah. Um, like you'd see in a, a David Lynch kind kind of thing, um, then it jumps uh, to a more jazzy kind of feel, um, and there's a sudden jump to stereo. Yeah, and I, I was wondering. Um, first of all, I was wondering, are my headphones broke? Yeah, uh, which is a concern. But if if that happens, why do they do that? Um, I think it's again just to add something that is new and potentially discombobulating. I mean, we were sat here listening to it, wondering if my speakers were working correctly. They are, don't worry. Um, but there's a lot in the left um, in the left speaker, and then suddenly you do get a burst in the in the other in the other speakers, and it goes into full stereo. Um, so I, th- I think this song is a statement, really, to say this is not you two. It's meant to be a palate cleanser. You're not going to get something like pride in the name of love or with or without you in here and it's 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 to give you that sense of a rush i think that whole bullet train feeling of of rushing uh, any more on your on your imagined film before i give you a bit more of a lowdown um so i was getting the the notion of of um transportation uh, and i still had this idea of the you know the clock in my head and it had been a whir of time ticking by mm. so I, I I I likened it to you've gone on holiday, gone on vacation somewhere. Uh, the travel between the hotel, uh, sorry, the, between the airport and the hotel. You're in a taxi and you're stuck in traffic. That kind of thing, you know, you, you, the excitement of wanting to be there, of, of, of being tra- you know, of, of traveling. So being in motion, traveling, but not actually being in motion. Mm. You know, you're stuck in traffic, and uh, so the, the the contradiction of of the two ideas there. Okay. That's so. Maybe it's a comedy film set in New York City. He's in a cab. <laughs> he's looking at the clock. You know, time's ticking. He's holiday sticking away. Yeah. And it's it's gridlock traffic. So that's what I imagined um, the scene to be. Okay. Interesting. Uh, okay. So from the notes. And I'm not going to read out all these because if I did, it would take a long time. Um, but from the notes, the United Colors of Plutonium exists in that unexplored territory between horror and comedy. So you did, you did mention comedy. It's like a game show, this isn't it? One point. Um, it centers around a frazzled advertising executive, uh, Demo Ujiwara, who falls asleep on the bullet train. In his dreams, the spirits of the people he has exploited throughout his career return to haunt him. He awakens gratefully, only to discover that the dream, in inverted commas, continues in a succession of Fellini-esque phantasmagoria. Kobayashi's, be- that's presumably this is the director, Kobayashi's bizarre use of colour, super-fast editing, and extreme camera angles, coupled with the hilariously deadpan, deadpan performance by uh, Toshiro Takemitsu as the inspector, who discovers a whole family of ghosts travelling without valid tickets, remains without peer. So that's an insight into the the mania that exists in Bono and Brian Eno's head when they're coming up with these <laughs> these ideas. You meant to, I don't think you meant to get all that from the song, but that's you know that's the two texts that are interacting with each other. And I now can't listen to this song without thinking about this idea of ghosts on a bullet train and this whole 
text. I don't know. I don't know if it's... Is it a richer experience? Maybe. It's certainly a weirder one. Uh, well, I, you've just discovered that, that that those notes are in there, haven't you? You've I, not always known that. I knew that they were that these were soundtracks to a film because obviously the name. But just just in terms of the 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 notes in the in the book, reading through them properly, you didn't know that they were spoofs. I didn't know that they were descriptions for imaginary films. Originally, no. until well, until about a week ago or something. Like and that. you've always enjoyed this album and listened to it semi regularly. I've always come back to certain songs. I will say that I've never got the itch to listen to United Colours. It's it's always been like, oh yeah, that's that weird one that begins Passengers. Let's can't get imagine why. Let's get to Always Forever Now, which is a song that I do always come back to. Always. Okay, forever. right. Yeah. So so that changes it because you've had a long time to develop your own opinions of these songs and yeah. maybe make a story about them. So it does it does change it. And also the spoofs. This is absolutely meaningless. That doesn't mean anything. They could have written that after they wrote the song. Does a film make any less sense or make it any less meaningful, even if it doesn't exist? No. Look at that Titanic debacle. Which one? What are you on about? Isn't isn't uh, Jack a, supposed to be a figment of Rose's imagination? Uh, maybe. I don't know. It's probably there's there's a reading. theory that goes around. She's mad. Yeah. Well, um, possibly. I mean, that explained why there was no point putting him on the quite ample raft of wood that she had at the end, but we won't get into that old old meme. Um, so so, so what are, you, are you saying that these... Are, is it useful to have these notes, or is it not I, I think it's interesting. It's a, it's a DVD extra, or a CD extra. Yeah. Um, it's, it's bonus features, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't let... I wouldn't let it ruin, ruin your impression of what's on there. No. Because... It's crap. It's it, it it it's it's all fiction. The yeah. song exists. The film doesn't. But that's what I'm saying. Does that does that matter? Should that matter? Can can you not create a meaningful no, but soundtrack? No, but you also you exist? shouldn't let what the what you feel the song is. You shouldn't you shouldn't just picture the ghosts. I hope hope you can still see. Right. So let's break this. <laughs> when I read The Hobbit when I was twelve years old. Right. And. I read it a lot when I was a teenager. I absolutely loved The Hobbit and I had a very clear idea of that story and settings and characters mm-hmm. in my head. Favourite dwarf? Um, I think I always liked Thorin in the books. Mm. I grew up saying Thorin because of a Thorin. BBC cast uh, version that had been done which repeatedly mispronounced that as Thorin Openshield. What's Gimli's dad called? I always had a fondness for him because I'd read Lord of Rings. Gloin. Gloin, right. Um, but, but anyway, my point is, when the film came out, and then I had a visual representation of yeah. The Hobbit, it, 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 I have to really push myself now to remember my original yeah. interpretation. I would agree. And, and those films weren't worth it. They weren't worth giving up my my memory and, and my imagination of, uh, of those scenes. Okay. So don't let that absolute drivel that Bono and Eno, <laughs> who are probably high on their own supply at this point, uh, I'm not having that there were no drugs around this album. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're also writing pop at the same time. So that's, so yeah. there you go. Um, okay. Well, don't let it ruin it is well, what it, I'm saying. I don't think I see. Yeah. I see your concern there. It's I'd say it adds layers to it rather than, 
rather than taking it away or overwriting what I've got there. But to be honest, for a lot of the tracks on this album, I didn't really have that much there because they're so ambient and so um, experimental that it's difficult to get anything solid there. So I, I quite like some of the liner notes and I think you are meant to take them in a spirit that they're written like a spoof, basically. Um, the only other thing that I wanted to say about this um, particular song, we talked about it for a lot longer than I was expecting, is um, this idea of of trains and movement really is established on this on this particular song. Um, so Bono basically said that he wanted um, the sense of speed that you get with with a bullet train and that particular fo- form of culture that is associated with bullet trains and the fast moving and the, the sort of almost fast editing that is generated by looking out of a window, which is like a frame, and moving at speed. Uh, so Bono said um, that he he loves trains. And that when they were discussing the release of Passengers, they were going to launch the record on the Eurostar. So they were going to bring in the PA equipment and take people from London to Paris and play it for them, which would have been really great. The whole record seems to sound better at a certain speed when you're travelling. And I think that's quite nice because there's a lot of albums that are described as, you know, driving music. That's very true of Acting Baby and particularly Zoo Roper. Oh yeah, definitely. Um... So I, what what I like about this album is you can see the progression of ideas because yeah. it can seem a little a little bit of a jump sometimes from zero to pop, yeah. and and the the relationship between those two albums is, is never really clear, clearly defined. They're the same era but not. Yeah, and 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 it makes pop stand on its own. So this does help bridge the gap mm-hmm. and allow transportation. Lovely. Uh, I uh, having said in my rant about the Hobbit, I may <laughs> now ruin this song for you forever. Go on. Uh, at around uh, three minutes fifty, three minutes fifty-five, a, a guitar comes in, which I can only describe as Brian May. I, I and I know you're not a fan of Brian May. See, that's not. I I, I like the things that I, I respect. Brian May as a musician; he's a good musician. However, his guitar tone is everything I would not do. Like, people spend thousands of pounds getting the Red Special and particular sound that he's got, and I think I'd spend thousands of pounds to avoid it. It's, it's awful, in my opinion. I what, don't the, like, the Red Special? I just don't... I don't like the guitar tone Brian May Oh, the guitar tone. Ever. Yeah, I think it just sounds awful. I, if you're going to buy one of Bono's guitars, I know the Red Special is um, cheaper. Um considerably cheaper as well Mm -hmm. but if you're gonna buy one of those gretch special editions yeah uh, uh, to that that bono has it's got to be the irish falcon yeah probably yeah it's such a good looking guitar that nice emerald green and the gold are you working for gretch no 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 absolutely not sounds like you've just picked up a card and you've gone yeah johnny you really like that gretch with its intricate pearl inlays (laughs) And amazing ten gauge strings that just shimmer. But what? Why are you getting a back? No, there's no, there's no pearl on it. It's uh, all gold, and I, I, it's my favorite guitar. And one day I do want to own that. You know, I play Gretsch. I, I, I do love the Gretsch sound, but mm-hmm. um, the I, I've seen and had the chance to buy the the red campaign Gretsch, and eh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just not that bothered about it. Right. And yeah. A, a, do- a hefty donation goes to charity when you buy it. And I still don't want that guitar in my house. It doesn't look good enough. All right, okay. Well, going back to your point about Brian May, so is yeah. it is what is that a bit that you don't like about the song? 
Um, I because uh, I know that you're not a huge fan mm. of Brian May's tone. Yeah. We'll say. Yeah. Um, don't want to incite any Queen fans that may be listening. Mm. Um, I I just made me notice it, and it it seemed it seemed very unutuy, very unedgy. Yeah. And I don't know if it was more of a statement of like, oh, you go in there. Yeah. Well, because because you two don't go there. That's that's not what they do. Um, I think one of the things that is difficult about this album is to locate who's doing what. A lot of the time, Eno again as part of these oblique strategies would get them to switch instruments. So um, you do get Bono playing uh, piano at different points on this album. Um, one point I was very um, very interested to learn. He plays a particular piano line that I'd always thought that's some Edge's best playing, and it's just Bono with literally one finger playing the piano in that almost childlike way. So uh, you know, I'll tell you which bit that is later on when we get to it. Um, I know. So. Yeah, well, the fans might not. Um, so. Um, it might not be Edge playing it, and and Edge definitely moves away from the guitar. There's, it's very little to, very difficult to find um, Edge playing guitar on this in a very straight kind of way. Uh, there's a couple of moments, but it might just be Eno on some sort of synthesizer or something like that. There was apparently a meeting when they were planning this before they started recording anything, mm-hmm. where they were talking about how they, you know, they might move away from their instruments. And Larry was like, "Yeah, I'd really like to sing on a few tracks." <laughs> um, Good luck. <laughs> And so I was going through the the notes on the album and just seeing if you know if if he did have any vocals anywhere, mm-hmm. and they don't. No, there's, there's there's absolutely none. It was actually uh, it was in an interview with Bono where Bono was saying, "Oh yeah, everybody, you know, wanted to play this. Edge wanted to move away and and do synthesizers. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play guitar. Uh, Larry wanted to sing. Adam wanted to play bass." <laughs> <laughs> And um, it, it's it's a damning indictment on my on my favorite bassist, but yeah. uh, Adam has said before, um, I'm not the best guitar player in in U2, but I am the guitar player in U2. The bass guitar player, you mean? Yeah. Well, it's a good point. Slightly mangled quote, but a good point. Yeah. Um, I can do it again if you want. <laughs> nah. Um, <laughs> so speaking of quotes and speaking of band members. Um, it's worth bringing up Larry's famous quote here now. I mean, famous, relatively speaking. Uh, when he was talking about... Um, He's still on track one. I know. Who's Whoever stayed on, uh, you're doing very well. Tyler's just saying how long this has been. Oh, Jesus. Um, right, so Larry said, this is all good, good stuff. You know, that Hobbit digression especially was essential to Passengers <laughs> as an album. Right. Larry and now said, we've got to keep it in. Right. Larry said, it hasn't grown on me. However, Miss Sarajevo is a classic. At the time, I just thought, leave your audience alone. You've already given them Acton Baby and Zeropa. Give it a rest. So I think Larry, safe to say, wasn't that bothered about this particular um, album at all. And I think it was because he was limited. He had to just play a lot of loops and samplers. And it's very difficult to hear any, apart from maybe Your Blue Room, there's not really any acoustically recorded drums as far as I could tell it could all just be loops even if Larry's you know laid them down originally it's very very processed um but I don't know I think that adds to it in a lot of ways yeah I think we need to move on for the sake of oh, sanity 10 minutes more on United Colours <laughs> no fair enough okay oh my god <laughs> Okay, so track two uh, is Slug from Slug, Germany. Um, just to 
had a bit of context about this in an interview. Uh, Bono was talking about this song in particular and said, um, when we were in Tokyo, we used to hang around uh, an area called Shin Joko. I think that's correct. Uh, which had these 50-foot neon signs in pink, blue and gold. To me, uh, it was like you'd walked into a Ridley Scott film, uh, i.e. Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. This is the one he was specifically mentioning. Yeah. Uh, and the Rakuza, the mafia over there, would have these big black bulletproof Rolls Royces parked in the middle of the streets, uh, and they were extraordinary characters, uh, businessmen, but underneath the suits they had these gang tattoos. Uh, Basically, if one of them misbehaved, they would cut a finger off or something like like that. Mm. Um, So you'd walk around and you'd just see a a businessman with a, a missing finger, uh, and it's very, it's very surreal. He says. So I think with slug the, so I think with slug the whole idea is just not wanting to blow it, even though we're all playing with things we shouldn't. You still don't want to blow it. You're willing to risk it, but mm. you really don't want to, you know, you know, lose your chance. And so that's where the idea for slug mm. came from, which is. Um, the, I was trying to abbreviate the mad ramblings of Bono in 1995, though. Um, but I instantly preferred Slug to United Colour. I, uh, I would also agree with that. I really, really like Slug. Yeah, you've got that 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 strange jungle bongo-y kind of thing, and I was thinking mm. about that. Well, this doesn't really seem like a, a jungle-y kind of thing. I don't think of trees, I don't think of that. And then I was thinking, well, wait a minute, why can't I think of a concrete jungle? Yeah. So cityscape. So again, I was you know trying to progress this this idea in my mind and try and bring some life in my own brain to this album. But I think that's what this album does. So it does it requires a bit of active listening, and I think yeah, you, you've got that really quite heavy uh, jungle esque kind of rhythm with with the drums. That's quite heavy. Over the top of that, you've just got that sort of twinkling melody line that doesn't really change all the way through. That just shimmers over the top of it like lights in a city. So it's this is good stuff i would say yeah i I was actually when i was listening to this i was surprised by bono singing for some reason it'd been that long since i I heard it i thought that the only songs that bono sang on were your blue room and miss sarajevo so when bono turned up with these lyrics oh hello you know what's going on here and um (laughs) it, it just it was interesting it's not the best he's ever sounded it's not the best lyrics he's ever written but it was interesting to hear something fresh yeah and this, to me, is almost a fresh reinterpretation of, um, and you might say I'm reaching here, but um, Ramones famously have this idea of I don't want to. They have a million songs called either I want to or I don't want to. And all of this is really, in terms of lyrics, is a litany of things that he doesn't want to do. So, don't want to lose my shirt, don't want to dig the dirt, don't want you to get hurt etc etc and that links with what you were talking about before um but these they're so general these lyrics you know don't want to be a slug uh don't want to overdress you have to try and think what is this character where is he located um is this the kind of hungover character that we get um in trying to throw your arms around the world but it feels like it's that general reflecting on on a city or a situation rather than this is a story i want to tell with specific characters yeah um this the vocal style that bono uses here it happened a lot in the 90s and i'm wondering if it's 
because of the vocal issues he was having at the time, or if this is just a stylistic choice of no, my voice sounds thick and gravelly, and I want mm. to use that. Um, I think it fits with the fact that this is a nighttime record. Um, so as oh, he's using his bedroom voice. You think? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, as as Niall Stokes says in 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 his book about about all the you know all the two songs. Um, into the heart. He, he says, um, there have been some talk about making a nighttime record, and some of original soundtracks one does indeed enter that territory. But Slug is an attempt to paint a picture of lights coming on in a city like Tokyo, which is like a Christmas tree, Bono says, explaining the sweet musical tinkling with which the track opens. So I think this is a very nighttime record, and that suits Bono's very, very deep voice, which obviously we'll see again in something like Your Blue Room. I got the nighttime thing, uh, I got the city thing, but the main character in my mind was a guy basically just sat in a chair saying, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that. And overall, he's annoyed that he's not living his life and, you know, mm. he's, he's watching TV and he's bitter that, you know, people are, you know, all, you know the supermodels on there. I particularly had Baywatch in my mind. I don't know why. Cause it, maybe it's because the it's 90s. The 90s, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but he's, he's, he's jealous of the world but doesn't want to get out of his armchair and, yeah. and go and actually live his own life. And he's so, a slug. Yeah, he's the slug in the armchair, so that's where my mind went with, with this. Why didn't they call this song The Slug in the Armchair? That would be, <laughs> it sounds like a great kid's book. Um, I'll start to read and maybe won't finish reading the explanation from the album. Uh, Can you abbreviate notes. it, maybe? It's hard, but I'll try. Okay, Von Heineken's third feature. This doesn't exist, by the way, just to reiterate. <laughs> this film does not exist. Von Heineken's third feature, Slug, is an extension of the gritty photorealistic style he developed in Alcatra 1984 and Breaking Glass 1986. Dieter, a young car mechanic, Karl Popper, who's a philosopher, not an actor, so that's weird, um, unable to attract the attention of a of the cashier Nella, Katerina Hoffens. We've not got time. Okay, fine. Arranges an elaborate hold-up at which he will play the hero by seeing off the gangsters, thus saving Nella. Things start to go badly wrong when the robbers realise the till is a, is a really full of cash. What else would it be full of? Abandon their agreement with Dieter and try to escape with the money. I'm not going to carry on because you know those YouTube trailers that go on for about a minute too long and you think, yeah. oh, I'm interested in the film halfway through. And then by the time it finishes, you think, well, I've seen the film now. I, the trailer has basically done the film for me. Well, I don't want to carry on because that was, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Needless to say, you don't need to read the liner notes to get an interesting feeling from this song. It's a good one. It's one we come back to, for me, time and time again. And it's it's produced really well. Yeah. Uh, in, in closing, um, it doesn't sound like you too. It's 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 short and sweet. It's This is Passengers. This is a good example of what Passengers is. And it's a good example of uh the collaborators doing what they're good at your blue room from beyond the clouds from italy this was an actual film that was produced so this ended up on the soundtrack to that particular film i haven't seen it so there's no point me talking about it but in the blurb yep. do we have a fictional representation of the film <laughs> or a, a true to life no we have a true to life one all i know about that is that it's about three interlinked love stories that have something to do with romance and death but you know i can't talk about it because i don't know about it enough i imagine i'll watch it eventually but to be honest i watched um 
what's it? It's not Heartbreak Hotel. What's the what's the, what the Mel Gibson project that they did? Oh, the Million for? Dollar Hotel. Yeah, I watched that, and it's fine. But I wouldn't say that as a U two fan, you're obligated to watch all the attached films and things like that. No, that has a good soundtrack. Does it? Mm. Actually, to be fair, Danny Landlord does a few sh- uh, songs on that, doesn't he? The the band do a few. Oh no, I know that one. Yeah. Around that, yeah, yeah. Um, and it also famously "Ground Beneath Their Feet" is part of that. Yeah, Tyler's happy about that. Right. So, um, also, we've talked about this song on, um, I think, on our B sides podcast. So, I'm going to try not to repeat myself, but I might end up repeating myself. Best of ninety to two thousand. Yeah. 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 And it really is a. It does deserve its place fully on there. This is this is a better song than a lot of U2 deep cuts around that era. You know, I would definitely t- put this on an album if if it were possible. But I'm kind of rewriting history there. Um, the quote that I'd like to begin with is from Ryan Lees, and he says that in his review that Bono spends the song alternating between his rich lower register and his falsetto. All the little pieces that make up your blue room, your blue room, sound simple enough. And yet it doesn't sound like 1995, nor does it really sound like any other year. It doesn't sound like U2's other work either, and it's hard to think of a band that it does sound like. It doesn't <laughs> sound like a song. It doesn't sound like this. Fact, it I've doesn't not, sound like I've just realised my speakers aren't plugged in. <laughs> Sorry, Ryan. Um, it seems to exist entirely outside most of their music. With their whole stockroom of affecting ballads and anthems alike, they never got as subtly beautiful and devastating as on Your Blue Room. I think that's mainly the last point. As as subtly beautiful and devastating, that is a good way to to sum this up. Um, one of the things I noticed on this listen-through of the song is just how well-produced this song is, how good the backing singers sound, how rich they sound, but also, even though there's piles of stuff on this, um, on this song, there's organ, there's obviously Bono singing, there's synthesizers, there's backing singers... Um, there is a nice amount of percussion in there as well. It doesn't sound cluttered. It doesn't sound heavy. It just sounds amazing. No, it's it's kind of erotic and um, religious as well at the same time. Yeah. Uh, there's a better way to describe that. I, just no, I think, think it's a really good way to describe um, it. I think it definitely captures that idea of um, you know, this is kind of ritualized form of meeting together in the night time you know this is where we're getting the nighttime record coming in and bono talks about you know it being a conversation i mean this song this song is about sex basically mm. and um there's no real getting away from that and but the way that it's phrased is subtle and yeah as i said bono talks about it as a conversation so it means that it's it's not it's something that two people are negotiating together you know or or enjoying together rather than it just being an act you know that's done to someone yeah. Well, I thought about the same thing as I did uh, when we reviewed this for the the B sides, and that was a, a guy in, in in like a jazz club or a blues club. Um, mm. Those old old style ones, you know, with all the round tables and the stage is yeah. away in the corner, and he's just sat there smoking. And I just I, I came to that conclusion again, but this time the character is a a, a vicar or a reverend, um, <laughs> which is which is, I don't know. I, I seem to focus in when I picture these songs. I seem to focusing on a character in one particular scene in like a snapshot of the life. Yeah, like Dieter and, in the last one. And, yeah, and there's not a lot of movement, you know, going on. Yeah. I've had a guy sat in a taxi, I've had a guy sat in an armchair in his flat, and I've got a guy sat in a blues club now. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, does it, maybe I just don't have a great imagination because all that's really changing here is the scene. 
<laughs> other than that, this could be the same guy. But this song is definitely a, a quiet slow-mo type song. If we talked about the other ones talking about speed and the bullet train, yeah. this is... I mean, organ lends itself to slow reflectiveness, and that is possibly... But there is a movement, there's a subtlety in a, yeah. you know, in a, a, a like a, a ripple in a tide, like, mm. you know, it's um, the motion in the ocean, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, so this is also, I, I, if I wanted to show someone what the Edge is philosophy of guitar playing is and show them it like a re- really short clip, I probably wouldn't take them to the ones that, you know, the usual, you know, Pride or Where the Streets Have No Name or something like that. I would actually say, listen to the solo, quote unquote, that's in this song. Every single note is weighted very, very heavily. You can tell just like that idea. And it's a very kind of, it's a very um, anti-Western idea of, of art. Of You mix the ink for, for ages and ages and ages. You prepare the canvas and then you just do one quick swoosh with your brush and that's it and that's the painting um it sounds like everything has gone into the preparation for just these few notes and you can't you couldn't have recorded the solo better to this there's such a heaviness and um rich tone that's used on the guitar and that's just go back to this if you've not if you've not heard it for a while go back and listen to edge's guitar it's it's this is the way to understand the edge's playing and also to a degree brian eno's philosophy of how you produce art you set everything up, you prepare it really, really well, and then you do something that's kind of beautiful and one-off, and it's 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 done. Uh, at the end of my notes. This is the first time we uh, that I remember hearing the tambourine that was later used in um, "Beautiful Day," right. <laughs> and I th- and I don't I, for some reason I just think that there's probably a link, you know, because mm. that comes back in "Beautiful Day," and this is something that was supposed to be a single and was only released as a B-side. And then I think maybe they considered it unused in a way. It's not single material. I would agree with that. I mean, I I think it was a wise choice not to release it as a single. Well, it wasn't really their choice. The album didn't sell enough Mm -hmm. to warrant a second single. Yeah. So they, they didn't release one. It was ready to go. It would have been the single if the album had sold more. And instead it ended up turning up on, is it staring at the sun or something yeah. like that? Yeah. Um, which I think it it actually works in that respect. I think a lot of a lot of you two fans are happy with a certain amount of um, you know this being a little hidden gem that you can when you move up up the leagues of you two fandom. You know, you get beyond just the best ofs and stuff. You do think, oh, this is this is great. You know, and it's it's a nice discovery to have later on. So so that's fair enough. Um, and again, I'm going to highlight the fact that, as I did last time, this is Bono. Uh, Bono. This is Adam's second vocal contribution to a U2 song, um, and I. Every time I listen to it, I can't decide whether <laughs> I like it or not. This time, I thought it was absolutely brilliant. I just, it, it fits really, really well. But when they did it at 360, he didn't do it. No, they didn't. They didn't hire him for the job. <laughs> they, uh, they got some guy in a space station to do it. Yeah, it's called Frank. I don't know. I think he was called Frank. I think Bono says Frank over and over again. I'm, I'm Team Adam all the way. I'm Team so Frank. Frank, or whoever you are, you don't matter to me. You don't matter to me. Because there's one person that sings those lyrics in my in my mind, and that's Sing, Adam. Sings. Yeah, that's Adam Clayton. Mm. Frank, if you're listening, come and replace Adam as the bassist. Oh, I, yeah. <laughs>
Track four, Always Forever Now, from Always Forever Now, Hong Kong. Fictional. Yep, another imaginary film. Yep. I'll fill you in on the details in a bit, but let's review the about what the imaginary film is about. Okay. Um, My imaginary film or, or, or yours? I can't fill you in on your imaginary film. Let's just talk about the song for now and the sound okay. of it. We're getting just over an hour, two minutes. Well done, everyone. So go on, what do you think of this song? Right, so um, uh, I cheated a little bit because this reminded me of that, that, that marvellous scene in Friends uh, where Ross is rushing to the airport oh, to um, uh, to stop Rachel from getting on the, the plane to France. Right. Uh, so I, I think it's the, the, the finale one or two. And if she'd Must gone be to two. France, there was no way she could ever have come back. No. She went to France. Yeah. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's it's more than a brisk walk away. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> Go on then. Um, so that's when I thought of. Um, this doesn't appear in the soundtrack at that point, does it? Because I know with or without you's appeared. Yeah, that's when um, they break up. He's trying to get back with her. Yeah. This is when he's cheated on her with Xerox Girl. Okay. So she's at the window watching it rain, and it's all very sad. So he rings the radio station, asks them. To, everyone's seen Friends. I don't know why I'm explaining it. Do the Hobbit again. <laughs> So, um, so yeah. Then Rachel rings the radio station, tells them what he did, and yeah. they stop playing you two. Right. Okay. And so, the, but this is this isn't that episode. This is like several seasons yeah. later. Okay. And they don't play always forever now, in it. No, they don't. But it, right. it reminded me of that because uh, Ross goes to the wrong airport. Right. He goes to JFK. Yeah. Uh, which is a, an airport in New York City, <laughs> and uh, Rachel is uh, flying from Newark. Uh, New Jersey. Right. So, so what's that got to do with Always Forever now? Uh, um, that's what it made me think of. Right, okay, fair enough. Rushing to the airport to stop the one you love. I love you always and forever. Right now. Now. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I. <laughs> this is a song that I have always come back to. Pro- probably the song that when I think of Passengers and think of its best points, I and think about how unique Passengers is. This is one of the songs that I think is just amazing. Um, it's really, really simple. Again, it's that idea of, of less is more, of not trying to do something that's cliched. Um, just having these three poetically chosen words that work well in, in conjunction with each other. And I think this song also embodies that idea of repetition being changed. So every time those three words are said, the same words, they're said over and over again a different feeling is injected into them. This is a a headphones album, I would say, overall, but this is one of the best songs you could listen to with headphones on, all the different things that are growing. You don't notice, I think, the the way the drums, for example, swell all the way through this song. By the end, they're incredibly busy. They're almost, you know, kind of dancey and, I don't know, almost um, Chemical Brothers-y or Prodigy-esque by the end of it. It's... Um, it's really good, and the the strings are, are very powerful as well. Towards the end of it, what I want really, this will never happen. But what I would like is a full on version of this with strings, with Eno, with all the band, just going crazy on it because it's it's got so much to enjoy, and it's just it's never going to turn up. But instead, what we get is a, a release of an acoustic version of "Get Out of Your Own Way." a half-hearted drab version of that song which is already pretty boring to begin with and this again this is what i was listening these two things at the same <laughs> side by side just coincidentally 
And I thought, you two have kind of lost the way a little bit. Get out of your own way, boys. <laughs> it is what it is. But is it what it seems? <laughs> uh, <laughs> are, you, are you the Dalai Lama? That's, that's a very good piece of philosophy right there. Uh, I thought uh, Always uh, Forever Now had good energy, good vibes. Um, enjoyed listening to it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was nice. It was, it, was, it, it was nice. It was okay. You don't like it as much as me. Though. I've not. I'm. Um. No. That's fair enough. You know. No, I don't. Because uh, I feel like there's there's not enough of something to sink your teeth into. It's kind of changing all over the place, and it's not just this song. It's a lot of the songs on the album. It, mm. Um, like your blue room. It, it feels like it's set out like a proper song. Well, that is a proper song, isn't it? That has verse, chorus, verse, chorus, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I didn't think I minded uh, instrumental music as as much as I've seemed to have minded a lot of the tracks on this album. I think it's, I don't know, maybe it's the headspace that you go into the album with, I, I, I guess. I, th- I think even in instrumental music, there's got to be that hook and there's got to be that, yes, that's what I love about this song. And then you discover everything else around it. But a lot of this seems like uh, a lot of ideas just, you know, swirling round and nothing really being forced to the, the forefront see for, for me i think that there are a few hooks in this i mean i think the when the bass kicks in it's like mm, mm, doo-dum, mm, doo-dum, doo-dum. like that's that's a, a good hooky bass line for me and just the central always forever now maybe if it was if he was saying three different words it wouldn't work as well definitely not you know if, i'm not going to try and think of what words he would be saying otherwise but that's the hook to me and i think this is this is where they are trying to do something that is kind of fizzing with positivity and forward momentum. Whereas in Zeropa and to a certain extent Apton Baby, they were purposely being really, they were, you know, as we said on the review, they were sort of rolling around in this desolate nuclear dirge and, you know, kind of swell of sound. This feels to me really positive. And that's, you know, I think that's, that's a good thing for this album. Hmm. Track five. Let's let's move on. Oh wait, no, let's not move on because. <laughs> oh, he tells what the actual thing was. Yeah. So it wasn't about Ross and Rachel. Always, forever, now was about Ross and Rachel and friends. No, it wasn't. Right. Okay, and so friends <laughs> and friends. <laughs> Joey, we got Chandler, we got Phoebes. Right. Okay. So what about Monica. <laughs> I like Monica as well. She's one of my favorite characters. Mm-hmm. Always, forever, now has made a startling impact. This is a fictional film. The remaining four members of F-Cell, a team of female body sculptors, I think that means bodybuilders, are out to avenge the vicious murder of one of their group. Their encounters with the Tong lowlife in the back alleys of Hong Kong, the Tong, I think, are a gangster gang in in China. I think the surgeons, body sculptors. Maybe. Well, okay, well, later on, it does say the cast includes four of America's top female bodybuilders, Davis, Tanya McLeod, Kylie Sue Lalone, and Dorothy Chang. Yeah, they're playing surgeons. <laughs> Maybe so. This film uh, is an unusual combination of eroticism and allegory. The star role falls to Vendor Davis, whose zen-like rationality and pronounced muscular- muscularity form the psycho-physical axis around which the movie is constructed. Medical drama. Yeah, okay. Well, there we go. So, with Twilight breaking through, 
This is a different kind of blue from the film An Ordinary Day USA. Um, so, fictional or factual? Uh, this is a fictional one, again. We'll do the synopsis of it in a bit, much to your happiness. Um, so, you might be a bit annoyed with this one, Tyler, but this is another case of, um, of old Brian Eno being a little bit sneaky and a little bit underhand. You two had the bones of this song to begin with. They had figured out what bits they wanted to do, uh, but when they recorded it, by their own admission, they didn't, it didn't work very well. And Brian snuck back into the studio. I'm using that word sneak from, um, from Niall Stokes and you two into the heart, so it's not my words, it's his. He snuck back into the studio and re-recorded it and sorted it out. Um, and this is probably the most Eno-esque track on the whole album. He does the lead vocals for it. He does the, the vocoders and um, I would imagine most of the arrangement for it as well. What do you think of it? My notes. Uh, Brian Eno on Vox. Yep. That's it. Well, what do you think about... I don't remember the song. Uh, I think I thought for a brief moment, oh, is this Larry? And that's when I, fig- <laughs> that's when I figured out that Larry isn't on... Um, it clearly left no impression on me. Oh, that's a shame. Um, and I respect Brian. I I don't want it to come across like I really don't like Brian Eno because mm-hmm. uh, I I really respect him. But I think the problem is I really don't like Brian Eno. Okay. Um, it's yeah, it's just I, I I I don't get what he does. He is. A dreamweaver, <laughs> an imaginer, a rebel. He seems very good at being the person in the room that uh, that you know motivates the band. Yeah, um, and and gets them to change things up. And sometimes, sometimes that works. Mm. But I don't think his hit rate's very high, really. I think it's very high for the kind of stuff I like. The, the sort of stuff I want from you too. I think he's a fantastic producer and also a really good strategist. I'd love someone to prove me wrong, but in my opinion, at the moment, it seems like... Did, I, did you lose me there? I don't think so. I think I've lost me. Uh, no, I can still hear you. Okay. Oh, I'm back. Right, okay. I mean, production-wise, Brian Eno is beating you. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, my problem with Brian Eno is right now... He seems to be the guy who's in the room when you two write a great song. Yeah, not a coincidence. Um, Apart from Moment of Surrender, which is awful. I think it is. I think it is. He, like, he, um, you think it's a coincidence? Yeah, they've done great songs without him. Yeah, but that doesn't, that's a false negative, isn't it? Old Lily White, you know? Yeah. And possibly my favourite U2 producer. He's good, and Flood is possibly my favourite U2 producer, but I think Eno is essential to an essence of U2 that just would not... If you if Eno hadn't come in at Unforgettable Fire, and they hadn't... Well, I say come in. If he hadn't been dragged in by Bono, you wouldn't leave him alone, you wouldn't have the depth for U2. They'd still be writing songs, very very consistent, good rock songs, like Off War, but they wouldn't have that depth. I think not enough credit is given to Danny Lamoir, and too much credit is given to Brian Eno. Perhaps. I mean, this is the most saturated Eno album of U2's. 
you know, it's a Passengers album. It's essentially half and half with, with Eno. Because I think his strategies and his input mean that he contributes more to this album, certainly than Larry, and probably than Adam, in terms of what he actually puts on there. So, fair enough. You might just like you 2 more than Eno, and that's fine. No artist is ever appreciated um, fully in their own lifetime. I think that's kind of a glib remark. Why? Well, because of course they're not, because more people are going to discover them afterwards, aren't they? So you couldn't be fully appreciated. And everything improves with a bit of time. Like this record, for example, improves a, a lot with time. I think I like this more, a lot more now than I did, than I've ever liked it. But maybe that's just because, I don't know, the focus of the podcast. I think this is about. like where we're the most opposed on our, um, our opinions of music. Okay, fair enough. Um, That's a creative tension. Let's use that like Brian Eno would. <laughs> well, Brian Eno is our creative tension, apparently. <laughs> um, and I really do respect Brian Eno. He's worked with like the, some incredible people. Um, but unfortunately, I find myself questioning just how much did he do? Well, on this song, he did a lot. And I I think this is a, a really interesting experiment. It's it, Nothing sounds like this in a good way. There's discordant, like, kind of... I don't know how you describe it. Are they chimes or bells that go through it where it's going... You know, kind of... It's really difficult to explain how they sound. There's odd elements on this that discord with the main melody that's being spoken by Brian Eno. And it's almost like a mystical poem or something like that. I don't know. I, I like it. I think it's I think it's good. Let's move on. I, I preferred beach sequence. Hold your horses, Tyler. Ugh. I didn't even have a film for this one. For what? You know, an imaginary scene for the imaginary <laughs> film. Um, just finding it. Right, okay, so here we go. So this is from uh, Lurleen Clumans An Ordinary Day. This is not a real film. And it confirms her reputation as a subtle subverter of film styles. Maria and Dennis have recently moved into a new apartment on the top floor of a Houston skyscraper. Maria starts to notice that her complexion is improving, that she is feeling younger by the day, but that she is becoming forgetful about simple things. She forgets phone numbers, new acquaintances, how to operate the kitchen. Meanwhile, Dennis turns up at the job he left three years ago and goes to his old desk to start work. And yet, despite everything, their love for each other grows until they feel like newlyweds again. Can you guess what's happening in the film, Tyler? The imaginary film. Are they going back in time? Gradually, it dawns on the couple that they have moved into a time machine and that they are becoming inescapably younger. Clumen's clever spoof on the, tra- on the time travel sci-fi genre poses questions about our relationship with memory and with youth. So it's like Benjamin Button, basically, ripped mm-hmm. off. Well, you know, like um, maybe like we used to have a time machine. Remember that? Yeah, when we when we needed it. Maybe we'll uh, get that back out and go to, I don't know, maybe Liverpool in the sixties, something like that. Possibly. Um, yeah, I don't know if anyone would be interested in that. Um, all right, so there we go. A mystical song, not really made any simpler by those liner notes. So I can't see anything syncing up between that and the different kind of blue. Um, yeah. No, right, uh, next. Okay, so in true experimental fashion, Tyler has found a, a sound in the studio, largely created. Wait for it. Largely created by the fact that this week Tyler forgot to bring the microphones, 
stands. So we're now using an improvised lamp as a mic stand. So do you want to do the sound, Tyler? And once more. And a final. Right, <laughs> there we go. Look, I'm Brian Eno. <laughs> Track six, beach sequence from Beyond the Clouds, much like Your Blue Room, an actual film. Mm. What do you think of this one, Tyler? Um, again, I didn't make any notes about it, but I think I enjoyed this one. Um, <laughs> wow, professionalism. Oh, I did job. make notes about this. Um, oh, it reminds me of Velvet Dress. Yeah, yeah, it does. I would agree with that. Um, and you've got uh, uh, Bono on the piano. Yeah, so this is where... Um, Bono gets his pinky out and does some one-fingered piano. Um, amazing melody line that I've always really, really enjoyed and thought that's an example. Of, that was ugh, that was an example of of Bono at his best. Sorry, Edge, you confuse me now. I've always thought. <laughs> what are you that, thinking about that, right that now? Mel- sure, sh- that melody line is that's the Edge at his best. You know, just simple ideas, pure Edge. But you know, it's Bono with just Edge doing laying down back in. Um, uh, piano and bits and bobs. It's nice. It is a nice song. This is lovely. Um, uh, one of the better songs on the album. Uh, so my scene that I imagined. Yep. There's actually some movement in this scene. Okay. Uh, so uh, there's two boxers in a boxing ring, and they're slugging it out. Uh, but the camera zooms in through in, in between the two boxers. Yep. And goes to you guessed it. Uh, a slug. Uh, the partner of one of the boxers, so the husband or the wife or whatever, uh-huh. uh, sat in the audience watching, you know, terrified of what's going to happen. Okay. So there is movement in the scene, but the focal point is on another person sat sitting down. Sat in a chair. Yeah. How did you get that from... Did you ignore the title then? Uh, um, I, I knew the title, but that's the image that yeah. sprouted in my mind. Fair enough. Um, I've always, when I've attached images to the song... It, They've always just been of a absolutely, you know, kind of monsoon drenched beach and just driftwood floating around very, 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 very calmly. Maybe there's someone on, on, on the beach who's sort of fallen asleep there in that kind of hot, hot rain. Um, and that, that suits me, that idea of, you know, time shoots on by, mm. um, time just moving on. It's, it's, it's a really good song, this. And weirdly... I think this actually might be the U2 song, maybe along with Bass Trap, that I've listened to the most times, because I made myself a improvised... This is before the days of Spotify and YouTube and all the all the other kind of things, where you could get pre-made chill-out playlists. I burned a CD that had about 15 of my favourite lyricless or near-enough lyricless songs and made them into a, a compilation um, there was a lot of captive on there that I, that I just took over onto it. So, just in terms of actual play count, even though this is obviously not one of my favourite U2 songs ever, I've probably listened to it more than The Unforgettable Fire, more than Acrobat, more than Ultraviolet or Lemon. So it's 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 interesting in that way. And oddly enough, it still sounds very, very fresh, even though I've heard it thousands of times. And... This, I'd say, is an example of that kind of freedom that you two have given themselves on this album to create something that is beautiful, that's very freeform, like Velvet Dress, that doesn't have to have a a certain kind of prepackaged 
three minute 30, this could appear on an advert in the middle of the Super Bowl kind of thing to it. This is it's nice and it's, and it's got a lot of freedom on it. And I used it as inspiration for a song that I recorded a very, very long time ago because there's rain heard on the end of it um, that's clearly been recorded. And I went out when it was, when it was, well, I didn't go out, but I stuck a microphone out of a window when it was absolutely chucking it down in Manchester one time and recorded that rain sound because I thought I won't get to hear this intense sound um, again. Although I live in Manchester and I hear it a lot, obviously, because, I, because it rains here constantly. It's good. It's a good song. Um, very good chill out piece. Yeah, one of the better ones. Um, let's move on to a song we've already covered extensively. Hooray, yes. <laughs> Okay, so now we move on to track seven, the lead single, Miss Savs, starring Big Pavs. <laughs> I'm quite happy with Big Pavs as a nickname, but let's let's not do down how serious the subject matter is by calling it Miss Savs. I'm not I'm not I'm not I'm not saying anything about the subject matter. It's just it's it's good that it rhymes, that's all I'm saying. Fair enough, fair enough. Okay, so about Bill Carter's um documentary, Miss Sarajevo, uh, chronicling the more bizarre events of the war in the former Yugoslavia with the, the famous beauty pageant, pageant that was held there. The idea, as we've said on previous episodes, the idea of retaining that sense of something almost light and ordinary and frivolous in the middle of, of scenes of death and horror and warfare and how important it is to, to keep that alive. So I've not got too much more to say on this song. Um, no, we I could. always feel unqualified talking about it because I don't think I know enough about that time and you know what went on at that particular time beyond the, the basics. Yeah, we covered this uh, pretty extensively on our uh, first annual and only Christmas episode. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> one episode was stretching it out a bit. So Yeah, um, very tenuous that episode. Um, but... Just through researching passengers, um, I did come across um, a little bit about the the writing of this song and, and why they wrote this song and why Pavarotti uh, joined uh, passengers and, and, and you two to, to do this. And basically, Bono and Pavarotti met each other. I have no idea how. I, I would like to imagine that in the early 90s there was a club with Sean Penn, Bono, Frank Sinatra, Pavarotti, mm. and a few other people just dotted around, like just an eclectic group of, of superstars. Mm. No, um, <laughs> Eno, <laughs> and just um, so that the, the, there's this group. But uh, Pavarotti used to ring Bono every single day, prank call him, <laughs> and demand that he write him a song, mm. or something bad would happen to him. Uh, so, so maybe that um, contradict uh, that contrasts with the image you have of Pavarotti. It certainly uh, contrasts with the image I have of Pavarotti. Um, but that that's what happened, and that's why Bono decided to uh, start writing a song, which became Miss Sarajevo. And he, he wrote a part and sent it to Pavarotti, mm-hmm. and said, "I think it'd be really good if you, you know, if you did this at this point." So Pavarotti took it into his studio and recorded it and sent it back to Bono, and that's when Miss Sarajevo came about. So and it's a complete success, isn't it? I mean, old Pavs knocked it out of the park, didn't he? Really? Yeah, there is a version on YouTube where uh, Bono, The Edge, and 
uh, Pavarotti are performing this. Andino, Andino are are performing this. Uh, the, the live versions of Passenger songs are quite scarce, but I think it might be the only one apart from Your Blue Room. Yeah, there, there is a really there's a really nice moment moment where where Pavarotti's finished singing his bit and he's getting a standing ovation from the crowd. And there's this smile on Pavarotti's face where I think we're mm. exercising some demons that he wants. You know, like he is this huge superstar in terms of singing, mm. but that I think he was a performer. I think he was a very enigmatic and very charismatic person yeah and and so he must he, he was very jealous of bono and the fact that he could throw himself around stage and yeah. do all this cool cool stuff and he just stood there mm. um but both superstars in their own right yeah in, the, in their own genres and yeah massive respect between the two of them as well yeah um on this listen through um if i listen to the album start to finish the one thing that i noticed that has never really stood out to me that much is the part that Pavarotti sings is delivered in such with such kind of feeling, but to me it always sounded triumphant and very uplifting. Yeah, and uplifting, yeah. and it it does raise the whole crowd, you know. And even when Bono did that version um, in Milan, where where he he approximated Pavarotti, you get that sense of uplift. However, this is in terms of the moment in the song, in terms of the lyrics. Um, the actual translation is such a sad, defeated moment in what sounds like a, a triumph, you know, and, and is a triumph in terms of singing. And that's the point where it's saying, as a river, you said that love will find a way, but love, I'm not a praying man. And in love, I can't believe anymore. And for love, I can't wait anymore. And to me, that is, maybe it's not entirely sad, but there is a kind of defeated quality to, to that, you know, saying that you're not only not a praying man, but you don't believe and you can't wait for love anymore. But there's a um, there's a triumph to getting to that conclusion and moving on with your life. The yeah. tragedy would be to never come to that conclusion. Yeah, true. And never move on. And you might in the future then be open to it after realising that you mistook love, perhaps. Track 8, Ito Bukashi, featuring Holly, from the film Ito Ikashi or Something Beautiful, Japan. Now, instantly, we have to say that Ito Ikashi, there's some kind of disagreement over the translation of that. It might be something beautiful, or it might be something interesting. So I'm not going to say either way. But I will say this song is both beautiful, and it is interesting as well. Um, I think, what are you cringing at? It's so bad. <laughs> it's really bad. What, my intro or the song? The song. Right, well, let me say my piece, and then you can throw in your uh, penneth. So I think you two are more diverse than the countries that they become associated with. So, obviously, Ireland, but also American and British influences. That's how they're generally seen. And I think there is a real interest in Japanese music that could have been more usefully mined over time. Um, influences that Edge definitely brings into his music... Um, and influences that Eno takes as well, which are all to do with simplicity and minimalism and not putting everything on the record and doing something that is more atmospheric than it is, you know, let's throw the whole Phil Spector wall of sound at it. So I, I really like this, and I think this fits with the themes on Beach Sequence and on Always Forever Now and other places of, of time passing by and 
and of, of change and noticing small moments of beauty. I think it's great. What do I, you think? I was very aware of time passing by <laughs> very slowly. And um, there's a story that Edge and Eno were, were in the studio writing this and playing together and they, they, they both stopped playing. And, and the way Eno tells it, it's... Uh, me and Edge just looked at each other and went uh, and, and and said, "We need, we need a Japanese vocalist on this." Yeah, as if they both said it in unison, <laughs> and um, they didn't know if they wanted someone to sing on it or or or, or speak on it, but they knew they wanted a, a Japanese person to to speak on it, mm-hmm. and it, I I don't maybe I just don't get it, but I. I I just think it's bad. I just think it's dull, and it doesn't. Do you not think there's a beautiful quality to Holly singing on this? No, she's she's a good singer, I suppose, if you like that kind of stuff. But um, it's it's like uh, it just it just there's nothing interesting for me. Um, it just it, it, I think Brian Eno thinks every idea he has is is a good one, and it's not. Well, this was a good one, I think. I think a lot probably went on the cutting room floor because they recorded hours and hours of music for this album. Yeah, it's too long as an album anyway. What? It's over an hour, surely. Uh, I don't know. I'll have to have a look. Well, it's 14 tracks, so it must be. It probably is, yeah. Um, some are shorter. This is one of the shorter ones. I mean, 3 minutes 25. Um, and there are some longer tracks on here as well. I mean, Always Forever Now is over six minutes. Um, but I didn't feel that. There were some of them I was really I was really waiting for them to end. Mm. Always forever now, not so much. Yeah. Um, well, just to add a little bit more uh, context around the song from what you said, when they had made this decision, they um, alighted on Holly, who had uh, developed a reputation in Japan, had had already six albums and 12 singles. And she thought going into the studio, she was just going to do a bit of Japanese vocals for Eno. And then she said she didn't even know you two were waiting for her. Um, I just thought Brian needed someone to sing some Japanese. I was gobsmacked. Suddenly, I was in the studio singing with Bono, Larry, The Edge and Adam. And I didn't have anything prepared at all, really. So the idea was to get some improvisation going. And this was the phrase that she kept coming back to over and over again. It's Ito Akashi, which means, as we said, either something beautiful or something interesting. And I think I think it works here for, for what they're looking for with these kind of this sort of musical poem approach that they're going for with these sort of bells and, and, you know, subtle instruments. It's good. I, I, I have, and I will continue listening to this song in isolation. I think just to go back to that first meeting with, um, passengers and, and Holly. Um, so Brian, Brian, Eno had contacted her and brought her in mm-hmm. and she saw Brian, Eno first. And Brian Eno said, Oh, the band is, is through the, and she at that point didn't know who who the band one was, and she went, "Oh, who, uh, who's the band?" And uh, and mm. he said, "Oh, it's, it's you two. And she was a fan of a fan of you two, and she walks in and there, and she's very nervous and mm. was um, a bit overwhelmed, didn't feel very comfortable. And then Brian uh, Brian Eno said to her halfway through a song, "Oh, it's okay to make mistakes." Mm. And then she uh, then she felt at ease. Um, mm. I think the mistake though was Brian's. <laughs> um, for 
not cutting this this arm. And 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 I've also heard like Brian Eno talking about passengers as saying, "Well, we're all passengers. There's no driver," and that's that's the the thing. Brian Eno's the the driver in this, I, isn't I he? I would agree with that. Yeah. yeah, I would say I like the ethos of passengers and this idea that you get on and you take a more passive, playful, and improvised take on musical production and song creation. But if anyone is wearing the hat, it's Brian sat in the front of the train, and I'm fine with that. I'm mm, no, I, no. <laughs> somebody needs to be guiding Brian, and somebody somebody should be employed to tell Brian you know, to shut up. Sometimes, basically, um, because I think the edge is far too mild mannered. Mm-hmm. Bono is clearly in love with the man. Um, Larry could probably do it. I think Larry was just annoyed throughout this whole thing. Yeah. I would be. Okay, so up next, track nine, we have one minute warning from Ghost in the Shell. Uh, that's uh, uh, supposedly a Japanese film. Is, is it, did this one exist? This one does, this one exists, does right. exist. It exists, was remade recently um, with Scarlett Johansson attached as the lead. I definitely prefer the original, which is a great film. Suggest everyone checks it out. Um, so this is called One Minute Warning and it lasts 4 minutes 40 uh, 4 minutes 39 on Spotify um. <laughs> do you have an issue with that? I mean, are you saying it should only be a minute long? I just, I would, it would have been more interesting if that was the that was the, the you know, the, on the strategy card this this song lasts a minute yeah okay, okay we'll call it last minute warning uh, one minute warning mm. and, and it lasts that long that would have been more interesting to me to, to put everything in there yeah although the that is interesting because that would be frantic there would be emotion and energy to that mm. but the problem for that is this was used eventually as the as the credits for ghost in the shell and they last longer than a minute credits last far too long anyway if you i i would say having well having never been put on any credits and i'm likely to ever be put on any credits mm. um they last too long anyway. I think you should speed them up, and if you and then if you want to see who did it, you can pause it. Mm. But I think they should be going faster. Or just look it up on on Wikipedia. Well, yeah, but you know, if you, I'm, I'm thinking, if you're in the cinema, okay, you can't pause it in the cinema. So you've got to buy the DVD. You've got to. Oh, so if you want to know who shot a certain camera angle, <laughs> you've got to go and watch the film. Mm-hmm. Try and catch it. If you don't, wait six months, buy the DVD, and then pause it. I drifted off during that that whole explanation. Right, so this is this is a, a song that I think is still really, really fresh. I know that some of the people who got back to us said that for them, after you know the midway point of the album, after seventeen, after not seventeen, after track seven, they were done basically. Miss Sabs. Well, this yeah, um, this is this is a great song. I think it's still really, really fresh. Uh, again, this has got a sound which I think you two could do more of. Um, it's more of a Japanese-inspired... Uh, I mean, literally Japanese-inspired because when the band were writing this, they were watching different clips of anime on TVs with the sound down to get a feeling for what they wanted to do. And I think it comes across really, really well. This is um, quite challenging and difficult music, I would say. There's lots of quite abrasive, non u 2 sounds in this, and it's... It's it's good stuff, I think. I think it, it really rewards repeated listens. I thought it sounded like a musical. It weirdly but, reminded me of um, Turn Off the Dark 
in in places. When the chorus comes in, as as in the chorus of voices. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Um, reminded me of the Lion King two, when Kovu gets banished by Simba. Uh, having never seen the Lion King two, I can't really deny that. It's like better than the Lion King one. You're joking? No, no, I I love I love Lion King two. All right. Well, I mean, look, I like the Return of Jafar better than Aladdin, so maybe so. That's like such. That's that's the most hipster thing I've ever said ever. <laughs> I'm not going to beat that. I'm, I, I'm more of a fan of Lion King. Uh, sorry. Um, Don't you dare like, say Prince of Thieves. Yeah, I love Prince that's of Thieves. A terrible film. It's... I couldn't get through it. This is review two. <laughs> talking about passengers. Talking about <laughs> Aladdin three. <laughs> and, and Lion King two. Uh, check out Ghost in the Shell if you've not watched it, Tyler. Okay. Not gonna. <laughs> Corpse. Brackets. These chains are way too long. Close brackets. From the film Reflections, Italy. So this is again another imaginary film. Um, and this is for me another very, very interesting song. It's very melancholy and very gritty and weirdly enough, is one of the most contemporary-sounding songs on the album. To me, I can hear... I, in in later songs, I can hear this kind of songs... I don't know, maybe not influence, but echoes of it. In things like Radiohead, even in things like Nine Inch Nails, there's that real grit and long, drawn-out, sad, plaintive voice that, that Edge is really good at, and it, that his solo work sometimes explores really well, like on... Love is blindness. Um, so it is the edge blind. singing. Yeah, it's the edge, the edge singing. Yeah, and okay. doing a doing a bang up jog of it. Um, simple, but I would say kind of heart aching or heartbreaking lyrics. Um, chains, move that thing. Chains we can't see. My chains way too long. Chains this. Chains move that thing. Chains we can't see. My chains are way too long. And hear my song. Hear my song. So. It's very simple, but all the things around this, all the atmospheric kind of clinking and and the, the instrumentation that's very melancholy make this a, a really evocative song for me. Um, and I'd like to... I'd, I would be interested... I don't want you two to stop, obviously. But had they stopped, I think Edge would be producing a lot of interesting, dark solo work. What would Bono be doing? Well, probably say they stopped in at this point before pop. Yeah. Um. What would so the edge now would be producing? I, I think I that's think he'd quite be feasible. Writing, and... producing solo work, but but doing a lot of production, he, and he would be called in by bands like Coldplay to be like a like be a, an overall producer or the Killers or or even maybe Radiohead, although maybe not. Bono. Um, I think he'd just be doing more humanitarian and charity work and stuff like that. Probably without you two, without the exuberance and energy needed for you too for some reason i imagine him smoking drinking and eating a hell of a lot but again this is massive speculation uh larry farm big drum kit in the barn that's it <laughs> adam uh pretty much doing what he does now he's sort of loafing around in kimonos and talking about you know art and i, I think he'd actually be doing loads of charity work but more in the mental health sector, you know, talking about his struggles with depression and alcohol and things like that. Um, but in terms, I mean, the thing is, in terms of actually doing stuff, I don't know if 
well, obviously, financially speaking, they wouldn't need to do stuff. Um, but yeah, I can see Larry definitely doing something manual. You know, like a big farm, Harley Davidsons all over the place, and just one very high spec drum kit in the barn that he plays on his own. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, th- that there we go. Um, I think for the sake of all the members of you two, let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, Fair enough. What do you think about this song, Tyler? Uh, so I was confused. I, I thought, is that Bono? Uh, his voice never sounds like this. It sounds weak. Yeah. Uh, um, or or is it Edge? And then I just thought I gave up trying to guess who it was, and just thought this 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 whole album's just cobbled together. <laughs> this the album was really starting to get to me at this point. Yeah. Um, the album had taken. I felt like a passenger. The album had taken me to somewhere, and I didn't like where it was. Did you listen to this in, in more or less one sitting then? Uh, I listened. Uh, it's a tough one. To it through twice. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I listened to it through once, start to finish, and I I enjoyed it. But I I, I think th- one song a day. If you're going to listen to this and really want to appreciate it, I think you need to do one song a day, or at least break it up mm. somewhere because it's a bit overwhelming, really. I think unless it- you listen to like Enoe kind of stuff all the time. I think it just it requires a lot of input from from you, like as a listener, to create meaning and to to see the decisions that are being made and and to cope with the fact that this is not soft sugary music. You know, it it's something that does require a bit of a bit of thought, and that's that's fine. I'm again glad that you two are doing something a bit more contemplative. At some point in this song, uh, my, I, as a 27-year-old man, decided to start practising my handwriting. <laughs> um, so that's... What are you doing, writing your name over and over again? Uh, yeah, I, I found, like, uh, because I tend to have, like, a scroll that um, starts, well, obviously, from left to right, you know, and goes to the right. Yeah. But I, thought, I, I found that if I... <laughs> Why are we talking about? Yeah, why are you talking about this? If I was just going to fade you out. If you let the the pen, like you know, have have a gravitational pull down, mm. then it's generally neater. And I think that if someone had told me that in school, I would have Definitely neater handwriting. Fade this out. I think I'm going to fade this out. Okay, right. Well, that 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 was was what happened during the song. Okay, so next up we've got Elvis Eight America from the film Elvis Eight America. USA. Um, this is this is one of the worst U two related tracks or projects. I was going to say worst U two songs, but U two need to stop mentioning Elvis. It does not work well for them. Word for word, pretty much what I've got written down. It would be better if Bono had never heard of Elvis, and we know the problems that Elvis has caused before for the band. What annoys me is Larry Mullen is a huge Elvis fan, yep. but it seems he's more of a fan of the films than the music. But maybe so. Just going off that little bit in the you know the Elvis documentary where he gets emotional about, <laughs> about going to Graceland. Mm-hmm. Um, I can never work out if that's um, like that's choreographed. That you know to add some emotional weight halfway through the film. Because I've never quite understood why. Well, maybe because maybe Larry, I'm being cynical. Or... Maybe Larry doesn't get to show his emotions as a drummer, as evidently as Bono does, perhaps. Um, well, maybe. I was going to start researching this song a bit more. Um, I could have looked through the 
the liner notes in a bit more detail or checked out what uh you know what's said about it in into the heart but to be honest i find this song kind of offensive on every level like in terms of music it's terrible um Howie B's contribution of saying Elvis in, as a backing track just doesn't work for me. It's tonally out of step with everything on the record. There's beautiful places reached in this song, in this record, not this song, um, not this song. Um, you know, contemplative, nice, experimental, interesting places, and then there's just this, and it sounds like it. It sounds like the last day of Elvis. It's just messed up and bloated and terrible. There's like a Christmas, a Christmas jingle bells kind of thing in the background as well mm-hmm. and it's it's just it's just distracting and then Bono uh, and maybe you won't want to put this on the podcast but Bono uses the n-word and mm-hmm. which doesn't really bother me and and I get that it was at least um on a large scale socially less of a problem um 20 years ago to use that yeah, to that. use that word. Be, now, but... If he did it now on an album, it would be it would be front page news, I believe. Whereas, yeah. whereas here, tucked in at the back on a terrible song on the back of a very very low key album. Obviously, yeah, it's not come to prominence. I I still don't think that kind of lessens it though. I I don't think Bono should have said that on this record, even if he's trying to use it in a way that shows that that Elvis has all of his roots and owes so much to black music. I think that's the idea. I don't think he's trying to be offensive with it, but this is a stupid song. Yeah, it's um I don't I don't get it and I don't I hope they never try and put write a song about Elvis again. Because yeah. if this is the best they can do, then that that's I could write a better tribute to Elvis than this. I just don't think you two write that well a lot when they're when they're writing about the heroes or for the heroes i don't know maybe that's not true but i mean well i'm thinking about love rescue me here, I'm, I'm gonna ask like the review to anorex like something here and um this is cutting the audience down massively but if you know, know this album well like this album and like this song can you please uh dm us on twitter or contact us any of the variety of ways um and just just let us know why what is it? You know, is there something I'm not seeing? I can see, apart from Bono's ability to rhyme words towards the end bit where he starts to quote-unquote rap, and I never want to have Bono rapping, um, there's nothing that is professional or interesting or redeeming in this. And also, Howie B's vocal has always just stuck out to me as just awful. He's a producer, and it should stay that way. Well, I feel about like that about another passenger, but let's uh... don't we go at Pabs. <laughs> Track twelve, plot one eight zero from Hypnotize brackets Love Me Till Dawn. Um, I'd forgotten about this song. I couldn't have, I couldn't have explained what it sounds like at all. But then when it came back on, listening to it, I do remember that I like it quite a lot. Um, having said that it's obviously quite forgettable um, and it sounds dated in in quite an obvious way I mean I don't think this sounds contemporary at all which you know fine doesn't doesn't matter but what do you think about this I fell asleep <laughs> literally literally fell asleep um, so upon re-listening mm-hmm. 
there's nothing there's nothing new after 60 seconds and that's being generous well maybe we're getting back to what uh carly mccallface was saying that this is this is great music for for falling asleep to and i can i can appreciate that um the most interesting thing about this song is from the liner notes to the imaginary film so here we go an influential and vindictive tabloid journalist pilar morgan is being driven back to london from another successful scoop evans the chauffeur tony corbin is new to her and in the face of a snowstorm, seems rather too willing to allow the vehicle to become immobilised on a remote moorland road. During the night they spend together, a vortex of apprehension, lust, and finally terror draws the film to, inex- to its inexorable conclusion, as the real identity of Evans finally, sorry, gradually dawns. I think the real identity of Evans might be the edge, and this is one of his sort of like strange filmic ideas or fantasies that's that's been created here, but. I don't get all that kind of sense of terror and, and... And Jeremy Corbyn's the taxi driver. Tony Corbyn. Evans, the chauffeur. But I think that sounds like a decent film and possibly more memorable than this than this particular song. You don't... I don't think you get that sense of terror. It's, it's interesting mood music, but I don't really know what mood it creates. A dull, sleepy mood. <laughs> well, I think we can probably take these last few songs at a, at, a, at a run to be honest because it don't get more interesting from here folks um not really okay so theme from swan from this one from this one hungary okay another imaginary film um i can't even read my own, own handwriting i was that bored even after all that practice i know um Well, I'll say while you're looking at that. Oh, I like the strings. There you go. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I liked the rain. Um, I've written rain again. But I mean, I think most ideas they'd had for this album were kind of played out by this point, really. Um, this is delicate background music. Um, yeah, it's fine. Um, guess it suits the idea of of a swan. So the last track. Oh no! Right, there's a great. If it if it like faded out at two minutes, it would have been perfect. Mm. But then it comes back, um, and it's just just rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I think the redeem- got a little clip now for the beginning of the show. <laughs> um, the last one is the theme from "Let's Go Native" from the film "Let's Go Native." From South Africa. Um, this one is slightly more interesting in that sonically it sounds a bit like, at least to my ears, a mashup of certain other U2 songs. You're nodding, Tyler, so what U2 songs have you got? I've got mine written down here. Uh, even better than the real thing? No. Are you going to say. Uh, oh, I'm wrong, am I? No, 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 sorry. I was just <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, you're kind of right because the songs, I was going to say The Fly. I put Actung and Zeropa. Um, yeah. I'm trying to remember. I think Daddy's gonna pay. It sounds like even a lot better as well. than your, even better than, uh, than the real thing. And the fly are what I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, and so it, obviously they come from quite a similar place. One of the strengths of Acton Baby is you have songs that that relate to each other or used to be parts of the same song. So it's an interesting mashup. Um, kind of repetitive. Um, Steady drum and bass. Yeah, bass is a bit muddy though. Bad Adam Clayton then. Maybe not. I don't even know if he played. I blame the producer. Possibly so. Um, this one was a bit more interesting in terms of the liner notes because it's to do with 
a kind of forbidden love between um, between people who are black and white in South Africa. So that's interesting. Um, but it doesn't. This isn't the album to be doing that on, though. You know, it's <laughs> if, if you want to make some statement and. Well, it's in the imaginary soundtracks. They, I think they tried to make it a bit more realistic that they would have some films that were more controversial, some that would be animated. Um, I, the question I want to know is: it's given as an instrumental, but there are actually lyrics on it, or at least there's singing on it. But it's more like a wild kind of chant, and the only bit that I can hear on it is where it says. I think it says in your heart, but that again just reminds me of Elvis Presley in America. So, did you distinguish anything in the lyrics to this song? Or no, no. Okay, are we done? <laughs> we are done, unless you want to add the bonus track, Japan only. No, I don't. Well, um, well, I, I'm going to briefly mention that anyway. Uh, it's co- it's called Bottoms, um, and it's from the film Bottoms, Australia, and it's basically a version of Zoo Station with bits that sound. A bit more like you know the the Vertigo tour version. That that's about it, really. It's, I mean, f- people have talked about this as oh, it's a song that you you've forgotten about and that people don't know about, but it, it's just Zoo Station really in a different different format. So we've we really have petered out on this album. We really have. Um, so um, you wanted to do this for a long long time. Uh, I thought it might be a bad idea. Um, I think I was right, but is this an album or is this a flipping album? It's not an album, neither a flipping album. It is an experiment, and for what it is, I'd say it's broadly successful. It is doing something. It's not. A, it's not trying to be an album. It's trying to be an experiment. It's taking you two to new, interesting places that they wouldn't dare to go under their own name, and that is a good thing. And I'll return to this. I think they could do with listening to Passengers again and thinking there are some moments, some moments, I'm not saying listen to theme from The Swan over and over again, but there are some moments but on this. You know they'd pick the worst things to listen to. <laughs> you know they'd do, do that. A whole I don't trust them. Elvis is I don't trust them to listen to this music. <laughs> Their own music. Yeah. Um, the, what, the bits that I want from you two is I want experimentation, a willingness to deal with melancholy subjects and not just needlessly poppy upbeat subjects and space as well not overproducing their albums and giving space between instruments and the best bits of the most recent stuff has that kind of space like for example lights of home that's that's a well-produced album and also a bit more vocoder just like um the first track which escapes me was love is all we have left is i think songs of experience is overproduced as a whole yeah i i agree as, as a whole that's what they need they need someone. They need to phone him up. Hello, Ryan. Get over here. I'll do it. You're not a music producer. No, but I can tell them when they're going too far. I can be the guy that tells Brian to shut up. Okay, well, Brian Eno, hire Tyler to tell you to shut up. Yeah. I mean, weirdly, that's kind of the thing he would do, actually. Yeah. And then talk about it as if it was a, a normal artistic choice. Um, I think that's what they need because I think I, I think what they don't have in the room is a U2 fan. Yeah, but if you go down that road, then I think you start to end up in a weird feedback loop of them not doing what they want to do. I, I mean, the thing is, I have no right to tell you two what to do. That I, I don't have any qualifications to tell them what to do beyond the fact that I've listened to a lot of their stuff. And if We if, have a right to critique it, though. Yeah, that's fine. And we also have a right to our own opinions. So if someone disagrees with us all the way through this, that's fine. 
share your opinions. That's we we welcome that, obviously. Uh, right. So time for everybody's favourite feature, and it might be a hard question this week. In fact, first of all, we'll do everybody's um, dirty day. Okay. Um, well, mine's at Elvis Eight America. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it didn't send me to sleep. That's the problem. But that's a, a nice thing. I think it's a useful thing for a song to be able to send you to sleep. Not not if you if it's because you're utterly bored. Yeah, Elvis Elvis Eight America's utterly bad music. Mm. Um, so uh, no time for everybody's sweetest thing. Oh God, why do you insist on breaking everyone's eardrums? Um, <laughs> what's yours? Um. I've got a few candidates, and there's some really there's some high quality material on here. I uh, see. I've been kind of lukewarm on um, uh, your Blue Room before now, uh, but I think in terms of songs that I, that I discovered just because of this, I think it's the uh, Forever Now one. Always, always now, forever. Always forever now. <laughs> that one. Then um, we'll go with that. Well, weirdly, we've we've got a double a double whammy here because. I would also put Always Forever Now as my favourite song of Passengers. and With the caveat that I think Miss Sarajevo is a more important song and I think that Your Blue Room is a more realised you know, song song where it has verse, chorus, that kind of thing. But for this experiment, the kind of music I want and expect from Passengers, Always Forever Now is, is fantastic. Yeah, well, um, it's kind of, kind of an achievement to um, have... You know, to get them both the same. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but I'm not going to join you in the caveat because uh, I don't eat fish. So there we go. <laughs> Ridiculous pun. Um, I also want to point out if you've been hearing an odd beep in the back of the in, of your um, listening, uh, that's because my fire alarm is currently low on battery and is trying to alert me to that fact. I've not heard that, so I think you're good. Well, I just wanted to bring it up because I, I don't want people to think that I'm messing around in a sort of passengers-esque way, putting weird bleeps and bloops in for, for no reason. Well, my feet are getting a tad warm. I, d- I don't follow. There's a fire downstairs. I, don't, I really don't follow. What are you saying? Because the fire alarm's beeping. Oh. Uh, right, so wh- when would a fire alarm <laughs> normally beep, Johnny? I think I might be fatigued. No, it beeps again. I just heard it then. <laughs> <laughs> Um, last thing that I wanted to do before we forget is to thank Carolyn McDaniel. Um, if she's got to this point, or any of you have got to this point, well done. And if done. you haven't, I can't blame you. Um, thank you, Carolyn, for sending us your your feedback. Uh, she sent us some really nice emails, just saying where she was up to when she was listening to, you know, earlier albums like The Unforgettable Fire Boy, and just saying thanks for having these kind of conversations because she didn't have as many people to have these sorts of conversations with. So. Guys, Thank you, yeah. but we also apologise for this one. People know what they signed up for. It's a, it's a, it's a side podcast. It doesn't have to be as good as our mainstream work. Yeah. Uh, moving on, we we are working on a couple of things uh, to do, um, which might get pushed to the, the more summery months now when the tour is on. Um, uh, I I'm actually going to go to New York and watch uh, you two in the garden mm-hmm. in in June, um, which embarrassingly Johnny feasibly could have come come to I would be working you would be working but I, I didn't ask you because I thought you were scared of flying but you're going to New York like two weeks later <laughs> so um, so yeah th- there's that coming up there's the stuff in the pipeline we just don't we don't have much information on it all yet but we'll keep you updated uh, and there's also a, a new um, 
record store day release. So if you know, last year do, you, do you, you had a pancake be? anecdote. I think it's around the twentieth of of April. It's a Saturday. So if, if that pancake anecdote was anything to go by, then <laughs> I mean, yeah, just hold on for more great chat. Yeah. So there we go. Um, there, there will be more stuff coming. We just don't really have time frames on a lot of that yet. Yeah. And if we're going to do one of these sessions, it's got to be a project that's worthwhile, that's artistically fulfilling, like passengers. Gee. Okay, so uh, thanks for listening, guys. Um, we'll see you when we see you. That might be at, well, for me, Manchester, and maybe any New York fans, if you want to meet up with Tyler. That'd um, be good. Yeah, I'm sure Tyler will provide details. I could do with someone to like generally show me around Manhattan. So Yeah, that'd be useful. Yeah. And if uh, anyone meets us at Manchester... Don't worry, you can buy me a drink. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that at all. I'm not one of those unapproachable people who will, you know, refuse a pint. <laughs> but uh, thank you for joining us on this very overlong journey uh, for, for passengers. Uh, we'll see you when there's more stuff to talk about. Thank you very much. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the show. If you'd like to get in touch, please contact us on facebook.com forward slash review two to you or on soundcloud.com forward slash review two or search for the review two podcast on iTunes. You can also email us at review two contact at gmail.com. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Thank you. According to this, um, when we were discussing the, re- the, re- the release of Passengers, we were going to launch the record on the Eurostar. That's quite a good fact. Oh, well, that, that was uh, around the same time, wasn't it? I don't know. I, I don't know about Eurostar enough. Um, I remember that from when I was a, a child in the 90s. It was big news. My dad said, it'll never happen, this. It'll never happen. And it happened, and he said, he said it's happened. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. <laughs>